How's everyone doing this morning? So before I begin, I heard this very funny story once. And um, as many of you know, we're we're going through our values as a church. And if you go on our website, we have sort of an accessed uh, link on there where you can read a bit more about who we are, what we value, and what we're chasing. And so right on our site, it says this, our values are our treasure. And rather than rules, our values are essential building blocks that are born out of our convictions about how we should live according to God's word. And we do our best to focus on and embody them as a local church. And so before we begin today, Mike spoke a little bit. Uh, He took two weeks and one week he spoke on the priesthood of all believers. Another week he spoke on the Bible and Andy spoke on family which was really cool. And so today I'm going to be speaking on the gifts of the Spirit. And the interesting thing about values is values tell us how we're going to get to where we're going. And um, when I was preparing for this, it was pretty nerve-wracking because you think, man, like I have to know everything about the gifts of the Spirit. But I just want to encourage you this morning. I'm standing before you, not because I'm more qualified than you or because I know more than you. I'm very aware of that. There's a lot more smarter people and more well-read people out there than me. So I hope that if anything you walk away with this morning, that you just get spurred on, encouraged, or at least get a good little chuckle at some level. But um, when, in regards to the Bible, we are a church who believes that the Bible is the absolute word of God. We don't venture outside of it. We don't read between the lines. We read what's there and we want to do our very best as a church and as a people to live by what God has called us to. Um, <clears throat> this morning as I'm talking about the gifts of the Spirit, I heard this really funny story and it went something like this. This young guy got up in the middle of a service and he wanted to give a prophetic word. And the pastor says, okay, you know, what is the word? He goes, you know, I just, I really want to encourage people. Great. So he hands him the mic and the guy stands up there and he says, thus saith the cosmic God of the universe who holds the earth in his hands and uses it a footstool for his feet, who stretches out the ocean left to right. Who removes your sins as far as the east is from the west. Thus he would say to you this morning, God loves you. And that was the end of the word. And the guy said he felt so gypped. It was like one of those big bun, small wiener prophecies. You ever got one of those hot dogs where you bite into and it's all bread? It was like the guy set the stage. It was all the bun. But when you got into it, there was no meat. And I apologize. And I hope my sermon this morning is not all bun and no meat. But here's what our value is when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. We say this, we desire the gifts of the Spirit to be manifest in and through our lives on an individual and corporate basis as we function as the body under the headship of Christ. And if you would just turn with me quickly to 1 Corinthians 14, I'm just going to read the beginning of that chapter. And it says this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. And this morning and everything I'm sharing, I hope this theme comes out, and John Piper has probably said it the best, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
I am just scraping the surface this morning, but if you go on our site, Mark Manfredi, I don't know if he's here this morning, but he's way smarter than me, and he is our resident theologian, and we've done several courses through our Bible school that go more in-depth about getting to know the Holy Spirit, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, and you can access them all there, watch them, there's many parts, and so for me, it's more of a broad overview this morning, Um, but I'm excited because I really feel like this is a challenge to us as Christians because God is wanting to move in his church, and he's not going to move on podiums and on platforms. He's going to move in our world, in our spheres, in our influence, in our culture, and he wants to use each and every one of us. But in regards to spiritual gifts, there's four places in scripture that we see where spiritual gifts are identified. The first is in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, probably the most significant chunk of scripture dedicated to identifying what spiritual gifts are, what they look like. The second place is in Ephesians 4, and uh, we see there that some of the gifts uh, that are identified in, Cor- in Corinthians, the gifts are, are actually given by the Holy Spirit. The gifts in Ephesians 4, the apostle, the, apo- uh, the, apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, teacher, uh, uh, pastor, are given actually by Jesus. And also uh, in Romans 12, we see that there's gifts given by God. And lastly, it's in 1 Peter 4, we see other gifts that are given by God. And so this morning as I'm speaking, I want and trust that God is going to stir something inside of you for the gifts that he has put in each and every one of us. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4, it says this, Now about spiritual gifts, the special endowments given by the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led off after speechless idols, however you were led off, whether by impulse or by habit. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the power and influence of the Spirit of God can say, Jesus is cursed, or Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is my Lord, except by the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is a good precursor for the gifts, because there's a ton of gifts. We, find, we must find over 20 gifts um, identified, or close to 20 gifts identified in Scripture. And, and it's important that we first establish what these gifts look like by nature. And what Paul is saying here, you see in the first part, he says that no one, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except if they are compelled by the Spirit. So we know something is that the Spirit is working in us to point us towards Christ. The other thing we know is that um, no, one by, uh, no one by speaking the power and influence of the Spirit of God can say, Jesus, be cursed. So what the Bible is telling us quite simply is this, is that the Holy Spirit and Jesus always agree. They're always working together for the common good. They never disagree. They're always in unity. They love each other and they celebrate each- and honor each other. Verse 4 says this. Now there are distinctive varieties of spiritual gifts, special abilities given by the grace and extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit, operating in believers. But it is the same Spirit who grants them and empowers believers. And there are distinctive varieties of ministries and service, but it is the same Lord who is served. And there are distinctive ways of working to accomplish things. But it is the same God who produces all things in all believers, inspiring, energizing, and empowering them. 
And I'm going to read a little chunk of scripture here. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, the spiritual illumination and the enabling of the Holy Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Holy Spirit the power to speak the message of wisdom, and to another the power to express the word of knowledge and understanding according to the same Spirit. And to another, wonder-working faith is given by the same Holy Spirit. And to another, the extraordinary gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy, foretelling the future, speaking a new message from God to the people. And to another, discernment of spirits, the ability to distinguish sound, godly doctrine from the deceptive doctrine of man-made religions and cults. And to another, various kinds of unknown tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. The empowering, sorry, um, all these things, the gifts, the achievements, the abilities, the empowering are brought about by one and the same Holy Spirit, distributing each one individually just as he chooses. And it's interesting when you read that list, I realize there's a lot of gifts, hey? There's a lot of gifts. And I see a lot of gifts in there that I don't have. Does anyone else resonate with that? Does anyone resonate with a gift in there that you feel like you do have? Hand up. We're going to be okay. Five people. (laughs) And it's interesting when we read these gifts because we think, who is he talking to? Like, what's the context? Are these gifts like supposed to be used like just every day in our lives? Are they just supposed to be used in the church? Like, what's the deal? But if we, if we look back here, go back to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11, uh, it says this. um, Oh, sorry. Sorry. Verse 17. It says, in the following directives, he's preempting what he's about to say about the gifts. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Okay. So Paul is talking about them meeting together. And in talking about them meeting together, as you and I are doing today, he is identifying something of the gifts of the Spirit that he wants to see manifest in their midst. We don't know how big the church is that he was writing to. Scholars say somewhere between 40 and 150 people. So that somewhat resembles some of our meetings. But to each one, the Bible says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And I want to encourage you this morning that every single one of us has a gift. Now we can read through Corinthians, we can read through Peter, we can read through Romans, and we can see spiritual gifts. But I just want to say that the, the designation of a gift is to bring glory. That's the nature of a gift. So when you have a gift, it can bring glory. And it might not be in this list. You might have an amazing ability to um, generate wealth. Can I suggest every gift you have is for glory? And if we're not giving that glory to God, we're probably using it for ourselves. And when it comes to our meetings, every single person has a gift that was designed to be released in our meetings. Believe it or not. And I was going to call our meeting Sunday service because has anyone been following media lately where Kanye West has undergone a major transformation in his life? Has anyone seen that? And I'm not here to to judge or decide, is it true or is it false? Time will tell and we want to pray for him and encourage him and love him and trust that God is going to keep him and empower him and let him see amazing things happen in his life. Amen? But he has done this thing called Sunday service. So when I say Sunday service, all I'm talking about is us getting together to meet. And so this morning, I want to encourage you that there is an opportunity in our midst every single time where we don't just show up in this building to say, oh, what am I going to get from God today? 
What am I going to receive from the person who's talking this morning? Well, how was the worship mm-hmm, taste test? How was it? Nah, it was okay. It's a little bit of this, a little Hillsong, a little Bethel. It was okay. And then we walk away and we think, yeah, I could do that again, maybe. Or, ah, I'm going to change churches because I'm just not getting fed. Hold the phone. You have a spiritual gift, and God has called you to release that spiritual gift in the body that you are a part of. Your gift was designed for Sunday service. In verse 11, it says this, of chapter 12, I believe, it says, All these things, the gifts, the achievements, the abilities, the empowering, are brought about by one and the same Holy Spirit, distributing to each one individually, just as he chooses. Important, important thing. Some gifts really appeal to us. Man, I want that power gift. Bam! Limb, groan. I know your future. Bam! I want that gift so bad, but guess what? We can't earn the gifts. They are given by the Spirit, and guess what? He chooses what you get. You don't choose what you get. You can desire the gifts, but you don't get them. He chooses what you get. And how many know... Anyone ever got super frustrated? Like I had to put on these um, face plates like over our plugs at home because uh, we had done some painting, right? And I get the screwdriver out and I got a Robertson on there, but I really need a Phillips. <laughs> You're like trying to make it work and it's just not quite right. So I just think about it. That's kind of like the gifts, right? It's like, it's like, what is the best gift? It's the gift you need right now, Right? Like, my body's functioning pretty much 100%. So, like, I don't really need healing right this second, but dang, a little encouragement would be nice. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's how it works. It's like the gifts come in God's time. And Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians because the Corinthians had something called a severe case of jail body. We all know what jail body is, right? The guys who go to the gym and it's like, prophetic words miracles, healing. And then it's like, gifts of mercy. You know what I'm saying, right? It's jail body. It's like a little top heavy. And Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians because they had a severe case of jail body. And that's what happens when we as Christians exalt one one gift over another. We inevitably grow disproportionate. I'll never forget this story. I had a gym teacher when I was in high school. And he shared this story because he was talking about the importance of the human body. And he had a friend who actually had lost his pinky toe in an accident. And the crazy thing about the pinky toe was that this guy had to learn and re- to lear- basically learn how to re- relearn how to walk. And what would happen is he would be standing there. But because he was missing that pinky toe, every once in a while, he would fall over. A pinky toe. But imagine how weird it would be if a pinky toe was on the front of the Vogue magazine. Like, that's Beyonce's pinky toe. Do you know what I'm saying? And yet something so small brings stability into our lives. That's the way the gifts work. And when we exalt one over the other, we get disproportionate. And it's not up to us. Well, isn't it the passage? is like, doesn't the potter have the same right to make out of the same lump, lump of clay something for common use and something for noble use? And a lot of the time, we as Christians, we can crave the noble, 
But actually, in a lot of moments in our life, what we need is the common. We need that back rub. We need that encouragement. We need something simple. I'll never forget when I left. uh, I'll never forget when I was in debt, tremendous debt, and I had to go to camp. And I was so properly roasted. I didn't have enough money even to get enough gear to go to camp. And I sent a text out to a whole bunch of my friends. And a couple of my friends, they're not the people that are going to stand up here and preach. They're not the people who are going to be like smiling and being on the videos and all this. No. One of them was Brandon Miller. And he said, I got you, bud. Hard hat, safety glasses, gloves. I had no, you know what? I didn't need healing. I needed money. But this is how God works. The gifts are designed to give you what you need when you need it. There's that verse that says, he who receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. And this morning, as I'm spurring you on and challenging you into what God has for your life, because the gifts are many and they're wide and they're vast and some are big and some are small and some are colorful and some are simple. But this morning, I just want to say that it is each and every one of our jobs, not only to know what God has put inside of us, but to know what God has put inside of each other. Have you ever had the privilege of leaning on someone for the gift of God in their life? You ever had that privilege? I remember once we had this equip, training time, conference thing, and there was a man there, Ken Grenfell, and we've seen Ken here a few times. He's good friends with Mike and Debs. But I have such faith for the gift of God on Ken's life, for the prophetic. He's amazing. He just can read someone's mail, and he's such a father, and he's encouraging and all these things. And I had a friend at this conference who I just really wanted to see them get rocked by God. And I thought, if anyone, it's going to be Ken. I just have such faith. And I took this guy, you know, up to Ken. I said, Ken, can you pray for this guy? He said, sure, sure. And he started to pray for him, and, and it was all fine and well and, like, accurate things, but it didn't, didn't appear to be, like, a very high-impact moment. And then Ken turned to me, and he goes, I just want to pray for you. And he began to pray for me, and I just got absolutely rocked. But it reminded me in that moment, it's like, when you receive a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. When you receive an apostle, when you receive any gift, you receive the reward of that gift. And so this morning, as I'm challenging you, just remember that God has put a gift in the person beside you, behind you, in front of you, all around you. And when you start to acknowledge that gift in them, call that gift out of them, you will actually start to see the reward of it in your own life. Now, just for a simple practical thing, there's three categories in where the gifts of the Spirit can be manifest in our lives. A lot of scholars, it's just a simple way of looking at it. It's not the be-end-all. Like, you can make a chart if you want, but it's not going to make you free. Um, So there's three categories. So it's revelation gifts, power gifts, and vocal gifts. That's what we see in Corinthians. The revelation gifts are words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discerning of spirits. The power gifts are faith, gifts of healing, workings of miracles. And the final vocal gifts are different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. But what's interesting when you look at these four passages where the gifts are identified in Corinthians, Peter, uh, Romans, you'll see um, something very interesting is that every time the gifts are brought up, love is also paired with it. Every single time. Love is so important, isn't it? 
Has anyone here ever given a gift, like, without love? Put your hand up. Liars! Has anyone... Now I really know you need Jesus. Okay, just kidding. (laughs) Has anyone here ever given a gift and begrudged the gift? Like, it just didn't, you didn't want to give it. Like, sometimes, like, it's like something, it's like something can go just wrong. Like, you have this gift for your, someone in your family or your kid or something, and then they just do something to really get under your skin. You're like, I actually don't want to give this gift to you. At all. Right? The crazy thing is that it wouldn't matter. If you gave them the gift, they could still enjoy the gift. But when we have love, when we live our lives in love, that is actually what enables us to also receive something out of giving the gift. Love is way more important than the gifts, but the the tension is that we can have a gift, we can give a gift, no love, receive nothing out of it, or we can have love and not act on it, and then the reality is it's not, not love. Love is action, right? That, that's the nature of love. So, to think about love and, and the gift separate is pretty hard because the reality is if, if um, the gift is a car, then love is the fuel, right? And you might get that car and go, this is my gift. It's the car. It's this. And I have an electric car. So, so, so here's what happens. You're right. I've got a little bit of a charge and I can drive and I can get so far. And I got that car. I got the gift. But unless I recharge, I'm not going very far. Romans 12 says this, in verse 3, Paul writes, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each one belongs to all the others. How would you handle your gift if your, if your perspective was actually, this is not my gift. This is a gift that was given to me for the bettering of everyone else. How would, how would that change the way you hold your gift? Money's an easy one. Let's say God has given you the gift of accumulating wealth. If it's all you, if your gift is for you, you'll never open your hands on your wealth. But Paul is identifying something very interesting. He says, consider yourself no better than anyone else. You see, if I live my life through the identity of my gift, like, oh, I'm called to preach. You know, I'm called to preach and I'll never be happy unless I preach. It's kind of partly true because God has designed that you will feel fulfilled when you live out what he's called you to. That, that is true. But there's no, but there's such a limit when we function our gift without love. There's a limit to it. There's a cap on it. And the Bible uses a word for, um, for gift, which is like the gift of God. It's the word charis, right? It's, it's grace, and, but when it's speaking about the gifts, it's the word charisma, charisma. And this word is interesting because it's a specific grace. It's, it's a grace that is for a specific situation. It's not charisma. We think, oh, that, that person has a lot of charisma. Like, whoo, 
they float. No, no, no. That's not what it means at all. It just means a specific grace. But the amazing thing about specific grace is that it's first grounded in a general grace. And that general grace is saving grace. So yes, God empowers us and he gives us that charisma. And we can use charisma. Charisma is like when someone just seems like they're so right for what they're doing and they're just a naturalist. So yeah, use it that way. When you're doing what God designed you to do, it's going to look natural. I've heard Bill Johnson say, if you did, if you knew what God had called you to, you would never want to be anyone else. And it's true. And when we know what God has called us to, and we never want to be anyone else, it makes us free and empowered to enjoy every single person for what they are. But when we don't know who we are, we're not grounded in our identity, you know what we start to do? We start to be like, I could do better. Yeah, that was a good sermon. But. Yeah, not bad for your first time. And that's what we start to do. And we start to compare. And we start to do all these things. And we start to get into a negative cycle of performance all over again. But I love what Paul says in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He says, no matter how significant you are, no matter how significant you are, no matter the influence you have, the impact, the sphere of influence, how many followers you have on the gram, it doesn't matter. What makes you significant is what you are a part of. Paul compares significance to self-importance. And if we use the gifts to, to qualify ourselves in our identity, to qualify ourselves in our worth, we will always use the gifts for self-significance. But I do think, as Christians, as we mature... In love, we will see gifts not as a destination, but as tools to getting love into people. You see, it's interesting for us to read the Bible because it says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts. But it's so easy for us to put the gifts on a pedestal or as like the source of our happiness or like a destination. It's like, man, when I heal somebody, I always think like, don't we... Am I the only one who dreams this way? Like, by the end of my life, I would love to see someone raised from the dead. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, for now, I'll just, like, if my wife's foot's hurting, I'll be praying for her, but, like, massaging, like, I'll start small and, like, see if it comes through, and then eventually I'll raise someone from the dead. But you know what I hope happens? I hope tomorrow every one of you raise someone from the dead so that climax is done and out of the way, and you think, now what? I still need to be happy in my life. And now I've raised someone from the dead. But I feel dead. Why? Because there's no happiness. The gifts are not an end. They're just a tool to get love into people. That's why Romans is talking about the same lump of clay. And, and doesn't he have a right? And is, you know, like something for significant use. You think about it. Like you're, if you have a high view of yourself, like in an unhealthy way, let me just say you are clay. And if you have a low view, that's okay. You're clay, just like me. But the crazy thing is, when you think about it, it's a lump of clay right there. And that knife comes in, and God goes, I'm going to use this for preaching, and I'm going to use this for mercy, and I'm going to use this. It's coming out of the same lump of clay. 
If you open a hundred coffins, they're all going to look very similar inside. Hair and dirt and a skeleton. Clay, dirt, that's all we are in the potter's hand. When we look at our values, as we're looking at now, it's easy for us to categorize them. It's like, one of our values is the Bible. Let's just put it over there. One of our values is family. Let's put it right there. The priesthood of all believers. That's a great one. Let's put it up there. Oh, and the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah, nope. I like the gifts of the Spirit, but we'll get to it. Let's put it over there. The problem is this, is that values don't work independent of each other. It's like a team. It's like a hockey team. You go, every hockey team is chasing the Stanley Cup. That's what they're doing. Every single NHL team is chasing the Stanley Cup. Now, how they get there might be different. If one team prioritizes defense, another team prioritizes offense, they go, this is the key to our success. This is the key, this, that, the other. It might change the way they go about it, but ultimately the goal is the Stanley Cup, right? So it is with these values for us, is that when we are chasing what God has called us to, we know that the values are how we get there. So when we look at the gifts of the Spirit, we look at them through the lens of the Bible, Because we know, Scripture tells us, that the Spirit of God in man will never say Jesus is cursed. And the Bible tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. So we know that when when, uh, we prophesy, when we speak, when we respond to God through one of the gifts that He's put inside of us, it's always going to come in line with the Bible. Always. It's never going to venture outside the lines. What about the priesthood of all believers? You saw the list I read how long it was. And you know you don't have all those gifts. And I know I don't have them all. And so that's what happens. The priesthood of all believers, when everybody brings their little, little bit, when everyone brings their piece, it forms the puzzle. We all, you, you probably have amazing analogies about that, but you get the picture. Is that God has called you to bring a piece. Or what about Family. We don't earn our gift. You didn't earn your last name. You didn't even choose to be born. You were just born. God chose you. God formed you in your mother's womb. He counted the number of hairs on your head. He gave you his last name. And if you want to function in your gift in the best way possible, you got to function from a place of sonship and daughtership. If I use my gift to identify myself, I will always be functioning in a subpar identity. It's interesting in Hebrews, I should look it up because it's not in my notes. But in Hebrews, um, Hebrews 1 or 2, it says this. It says this in, in uh, sorry, 3, the beginning of 3, it says this. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. And then it says this in verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. When we live as servants in the kingdom, we're always going to feel like we're not really living in authority. 
And that's like Moses. It was like he was faithful as a servant in God's house, but Jesus was faithful as a son over God's house. See, as soon as we accept our identity, before we start operating in our gifts, we start accepting that identity as a son, we will walk out the gifts in authority. And we all know this, is that the kingdom is less about ability and more about availability, right? But I do think that when the pursuit of our lives flows out of the overflow of God's love for us, everything he puts in our hands will be a tool to glorify him and to serve others. Because in the kingdom, the servant is greatest of all. And I, I can't help but think about Jesus in his life at the Last Supper. Put yourself at the Last Supper. Jesus is there. He knows he's just had three years of incredible ministry. He has seen some things. Wasn't it Peter who described Jesus in Acts? And he says, Jesus was a man called of God who went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. A man filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he, like, that was his recollection of who Jesus was. He was a good man. He went around doing good, healing every single person of the devil, basically. Like, we're talking about Jesus who walked in full authority. And put yourself sitting around a table with Jesus, Jesus knowing that he's about to do something tremendous on the cross, and he's sitting with his disciples. When I put myself there, you know what miracle I probably wouldn't have minded and forget my crassness in it? I wouldn't have minded a little water to wine in that moment. Right? A little something. A miracle. God, just shoot, shoot into heaven. Just do something. Just change this mood and atmosphere. All these things. But Jesus does something knowing what he's accomplished in life, knowing what he's about to do. And he picks up a basin and he picks up a cloth and some water and he goes around and he starts serving his disciples. I think about this all the time. Am I chasing gifts? Or am I just using gifts as tools to serve others? But Jesus didn't use a gift to exalt himself. Right? He didn't use his identity to exalt himself. Instead, he made himself the humblest of all men. Philippians 1 tells us. That's why he was glorified, is that God saw his humility, and because of it, he seated him high above the heavens, above every, every realm. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. So if we're going to like take that and like place it on our chart, that was like a miracle, wasn't it? Working of miracles. Bam, water to wine, best for last. But the last gift that he gives is actually a gift of service. And 1 Peter 4, it says this in verse 8, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. The 
Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. And I think just as I close this morning, I feel like there's a... a, I feel like there's a couple of things that God wants to minister into. Because there's something about the gifts of the Spirit that I can't shake. And it's this. Is that every gift that God gives you also comes with a graveyard. Every single gift that God gives has a graveyard. Because every single gift that God gives was designed to bring life into a dead situation. Can you imagine, husbands or wives, put yourself here with your spouse. Imagine if you said to your spouse, honey, your face, your head, I just love it. It's just so beautiful. But your body, I don't like it. I'm not, I'm not trying to be, hear what I'm saying. Wh- who would take that well? Right? And with Jesus, wouldn't it be the same? He's the head of his church. I love what Tyron said. You can't, you can love the church and not love Jesus, but you can't love Jesus and not love his church. You see, when we fall more in love with Jesus, the natural result is that we love his church more. However deformed, broken, messed up it is. I didn't marry my wife's head. I married her whole body. I married her. When we come in union with Christ, we're not just coming into union with Christ. We're coming into union with his body. Your gift was designed to draw you into community you into maturity. And if you are a son or a daughter, which you are, then God's plan of um, his strategic growth plan for your life is pretty simple. He's not making you a rock star, superstar, preacher, uh, worship leader. No, he's making you a son and a daughter who is going to become a father and a mother. I'm going to read this story and then we're going to close. It's in Luke 8. Verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus came, a synagogue leader, and fell at his feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his daughter, his only daughter of about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him, And touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. We all know the story. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. 
Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, he said. Jesus said, she is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him because that was because they knew she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. It's interesting to me, if there's any doctors or nurses in here, Jesus has just broken all the rules about best practice. He has a woman with an issue of blood who's been struggling for 12 years. She's going to live till tomorrow. We have a child who seems to be in the clutches of death in that very moment. And yet Jesus pauses for a moment just to say, who touched me? Now, if you're Jairus, you're the dad, you're standing there thinking, I don't have any other hope, but I'm waiting for this guy. And he's busy ministering to someone who can wait, but I can't wait. See, Jairus was looking for a healing But what he didn't know he was about to experience was a resurrection. I really feel like for some of us, we have a gift, but we put too much emphasis on what it is. We're expecting too much out of it. It is not being used as a tool in our lives. It is being chased as a destination. And what God is wanting to do is bring death to that so he can bring resurrection to what it was designed to be. For some of us, we have the gift, but we just are short on the love. And I feel this morning that God wants to reignite your heart with love for him and for his church. I wonder if we can just take a moment now if the team wants to come up. But let's just take a moment and do some some business with God. Just for a sec. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. But if you feel like you need a recentering, it's that simple. The Bible tells us that the gifts and calls of God are without repentance. You can have a gift. You can even use that gift once in a while. It can be here and there, whatever. No matter how sinful you are, no matter how many bad things you've done, God will never take that gift away, ever. He cannot. It's a gift. And I just want to encourage you this morning that God will never forget about the gift that he's put on your life. But he wants your heart. He wants you. He's chasing you. He's putting tools in your hands to serve others. The gifts are given to you so that you can in turn give those gifts to others. And when we think about the priesthood of all believers, we think about what it is to serve God, to be a part of God's God's family, all of these things, we have to acknowledge the fact that our lives are just a response to him. There's no initiating in the kingdom for us. When we respond to the gifts, when we stir up the gift that is inside of us, as Paul said to Timothy, when we stir the gift up inside of us, it's because God is wanting to awaken that gift and send it into a graveyard. 
And I just want to remind you that we all have a graveyard that God wants to put us in to bring life into. And he's going to ask you the question he asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And when we partner with him in that gift, God responds by the power of his spirit. He moves in power. And no matter how beautiful that gift is, when we surrender it to him, the effect it has is always bigger than what we did. If you can manage your gift, if you can determine the outcome of your gift, can I suggest you probably haven't surrendered it to God yet. But there's an element of this when we surrender it to God that he can do what only he can do. So Holy Spirit, we just take a moment this morning. God, we open our hands to you. Lord, wherever we're at, Lord, whether we think our thing is insignificant, Lord, whether we are over-exalting that thing, Lord, we just lay it at your feet right now. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come and minister to our hearts. Lord, where there's a void of love, Lord, I just pray that you would come and breathe your love and your life into us right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to be a people who are found in your presence. Lord, we want to be a people who say yes to you. Who respond to your heart. Lord, who go where the love is moving them. And do what the love is calling them to do. Lord, won't you captivate our gaze this morning?